Welcome back, Secret Squad. This new episode of I've Got a Secret is going to make you want to get up and move. I'm chatting with the incredibly talented Tyler Peck from the New York City Ballet. Tyler is an award-winning prima ballerina at the company, otherwise known as a principal dancer, and has authored the adorable Katarina Ballerina children's books. We're going to be chatting about the passion, dedication, and resilience that it takes to become a professional ballerina and how Tyler has gracefully made it through times of injury, burnout, and doubt. This is the secret to dancing to the beat of your soul. Welcome, Tyler. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I've been really, really excited to have you on this podcast for so many reasons. I'm so impressed with your talent and all of your dedication. So just tell us about when you started dancing, first of all. I actually started when I was about two. Um, My mother, I'm from Bakersfield, California, and my mother was a former dancer and she was my first dance teacher. She still has a studio there. Really? Yes, I was kind of babysat in the studio and around dance from the very beginning and I just loved it. So I was always dancing, whether it was at the studio or at home in the kitchen. And it just, it, it, I just loved moving. It just felt like me. So I started with her. I love it because two years old, and I knew you were going to say two years old because I've read so much about you. And I, I just said, mm-hmm. you know, to myself, I thought two years old means you were born to be a dancer because to have your mother be your teacher and to have that be part of your world, I think you were born to be a dancer. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I like to say that I definitely think that there was like dance in my blood. You oh, know, I was yeah. I was born to dance. Oh, your story is just a really beautiful story because I feel like dancing and especially ballet dancing is such a graceful and heartfelt, beautiful way to tell a story. Oh, thank you. I love how you put that. It's true. I mean, I think that the one thing I always say about dance is that it's, you know, a universal language that everybody can understand. And for me, it was always the way I expressed myself best, you know, from a very young age, I just always could feel the the music within me and I could really relate. And that was how I felt like I got all my, you know, feelings and emotions out. It was, it was it's an amazing feeling oh. um, when I'm dancing. Oh, I love to hear that because when I'm watching it, I feel that way. And I've always wanted to ask a beautiful dancer like you, if that's exactly how you feel, if you're just truly lost in it. And I know it's a talent that you have to work at it's true. One of my um, my most um, treasured like mentors once said to me, it's like, you know, you train and you learn all the rules to then go on stage and break them. Meaning <laughs> like, you know, you put in the work during the day to then go out there and be really in the moment when you're performing and just live in that now time. Oh, oh. I'm going to get a little bit off topic. We're going to, of course, come back and hear every bit of your story. But when I said 
get lost in the moment and get lost into this storytelling part of your career. I want to ask about your Katarina Ballerina books because they're so cute. So tell me, how fun was it to write something for young girls? It was really amazing because I felt like I was able to put in lessons that I would have loved to kind of learn or have somebody kind of share those insights. And so to be able to put those in a book um, and know that young readers are going to be able to listen and kind of learn from that, it was really, it's been really overwhelming. And, you know, the fact that I can now like hold two books, because we just came out with um, the second part of the series, Katarina Ballerina and the Victory Dance and like see my name I still kind of pinch myself and can't quite believe it but um I just enjoy all the posts and seeing all the little ones with their book and they seem so happy and that means the world to me oh I just I think they're adorable I love them. I have an 11-year-old granddaughter, and she loves them. She just really, truly loves them. And I had I'm such a treat sharing them with her. And, and I have a, uh, well, I started to say four, but my goodness, she's eight months old, a little granddaughter that's eight months old. And I cannot wait to, of course, I can show her now, but I can't wait to read them to her and let her experience them as well, because I just think they're adorable and beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing your passion with young girls like that. Oh, thank you. And especially with this second book, you know, I took a little bit of my family. Um, my father was a college football coach. And when he met my mother, who was a dancer, he he started having his players take ballet because he realized, wow, this would be really good for their footwork. So in the second book, Katerina meets her friend Ricky, who's actually a well football or how we say in America, a soccer player. And he's afraid to tell his friends that his love for dance is what's really helping with his footwork on the field. So it's really a, an important message too, I think, you know, that dance is really athletic and it can be viewed as that. And sometimes I think that um, ballet isn't always like that, but we are training just like the top athletes. And so I, I think that that was an important message for, you know, young boys and ladies to hear um, while they're reading. Oh, that's so true. You know, this is so funny because Philip and I were sitting down watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England uh, Patriots football game. And I, I watched it too. <laughs> did you see that little clip where the one yes. football, there was, a, it was like a commercial clip on a break. And I hope I'm, we watched quite a few football games, but I really believe it was that game where they were highlighting one player. And he said during the break, he enrolled in a ballet class with his three-year-old daughter and he learned to move in a better way because of ballet, but he, and he also got to spend that time with his three-year-old daughter, but because of the pandemic, they had to stop because they had to stop the classes. But I thought it was so adorable, and it showed him in the ballet class and with his three-year-old little girl. And I could, oh. have, I could have the wrong game because we watched a lot of football over the weekend, but it truly was adorable. He enrolled in the class for two reasons, to spend time with his three-year-old, but to also learn to move better on the field. Yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite exceptional how things kind of cross pollinate like that. And I think that, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that when 
young readers were reading these books that maybe they were reading it and saying, oh, wow, you know, ballet is cool and ballet is tough and athletic. Yes, it is. Well, you have a lot of experience to draw from, that's for sure. Going back to your dance career, when did you decide to focus, truly focus on ballet? You know, it was later, actually. Um, Ballet wasn't my favorite. I loved dancing, and I knew I'd always want to dance, but I actually preferred the other styles. Um, I think when you're younger, it's easier to, you know, sort of grasp on to jazz or tap or things that take a little less discipline and are a little bit more freeform in a way. Um, Ballet is so disciplined and it's about positions and techniques so much that, you know, for me, I was like, oh, this is so boring, mom. (laughs) And, you know, she very sweetly told me, you know, no matter if you want to have a ballet career or not, if you want to be a dancer, you have to have the technique. And that comes from ballet. And Thank goodness that she made me do that and stick with it because I would never be able to be in the New York City Ballet if it weren't for for that and for her. Um, So it wasn't until I was around 12, actually, when I was here doing the Music Man on Broadway for a year, um, 11, sorry, 11 years old. And I started training at the School of American Ballet during the days and I would go do the show on Broadway at night. And it wasn't until I went to that school that I found that ballet, I was like, wow, I didn't know it could be like this. And I found it so interesting, not boring at all. And I thought, I think I want to have a career in this. So when I say late, I mean like 12, which is <laughs> so late, but, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I would have never thought that I would be a principal dancer, a professional ballerina. And that's, That's where my career went, and I love it so much. I think that is so interesting for the listeners to know that your your mother, being a professional instructor, teacher, was able to tell you that no matter what area of dance you pick, you really still needed to take ballet because that was the best area in dance to teach technique. It's like the foundation, you know, it's like you need that foundation. Uh-huh. That is very interesting. So you were actually dancing on Broadway at 11. Oh, yes, wow. Well, at the time, were you able to recognize how incredible this was? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I remember when I got the audition, um, being from California, the audition was in New York. And my mom said, oh, that's crazy. We're not going to New York for the audition. And somehow I said to her, oh, mom, come on. Like we can just make it a trip. You know, we, I'm not going to get it, but let's just make it a fun trip to New York. And she was like, okay, let's do it. And then when I got the part, she was like, are you crazy? You're not moving away from home at 11. And she, she tells me that I, I told her, but mom, what if I never get an opportunity to be on Broadway ever again? That's so <laughs> she was true. like, how are you supposed to say no to that? <laughs> that is adorable. You must have been very mature or very passionate to be able to say that or to feel it, to think it at 11 years old. But mom, what if I never get a chance to do this ever again? It's so true. And, you know, luckily I have the most supportive parents and, 
you know, they kind of come from a, from an understanding because she was a dancer. So I think she knew too, you know, oh, dancer's career is so short. Like, I don't want to rob her of this opportunity. And she might be right. Maybe she will never get offered, you know, another Broadway show. So I moved with my grandma for a year. My parents had to keep working so that I could live in New York and follow my dreams. So I have a very supportive family and I, I couldn't have done it without them. Oh, bravo. That is such a beautiful, beautiful story. So you, I just love it. So luckily, did your grandmother live in New York or she just went with you? No, she moved with me. She was also originally from Tennessee and lives in California, very close to my parents. And um, so she, she moved with me for a oh. year. Well, that's the kind of grandmother I am. I would move with my granddaughters anywhere they needed to go. I'd be the first one in the car, <laughs> first one on yes. the plane. <laughs> so was it intimidating to move from Bakersfield to New York? You know, I was so young. I, didn't, I don't think I really understood what was going on. I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm getting to dance every single day. Um, the only time I think it became really a little bit more difficult was you know, the last few months, I, I was a little homesick. I, I really missed my family. And then September 11th happened. And it just that was a little scary to be away from my parents. And I, I remember saying to my grandma, like, I, I think I want to go home now. So I think that was a little scary coming from a, you know, a smaller town. But, right. Um, right. How long had you yeah, been there? How long had you been there when September 11th happened? Um, I guess I've probably been there for like, I guess, eight months. Oh, wow. So sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. And I'm sorry that happened. And I'm sorry that you were there when it happened. Yeah, it was crazy. My my parents, they were trying to get a hold of my grandma. We like kind of slept through it. And oh. my my grandma, I remember waking up to my mom, she, you know, the lot, everybody was trying to call everybody and right. she couldn't get through. So she was so concerned. But finally... We, we got a hold of them. We're like, yeah, we're fine. It's really smoky, but we're okay. Wow. So, wow. It's a scary time. But, but you yeah. ended up staying. I ended up staying, but our show unfortunately closed three months later. So when the show finished closing, um, I then went home to, to California. And that's where I was a little torn because the School of American Ballet, which is the feeding school into the New York City Ballet, they really wanted me to stay, but, you know, my mom and I decided I really wanted to go home. So I just kept coming for a few summer courses. And finally, when I was 14, they said, we really want you to stay for the winter term, Tyler. And so I, you know, had a conversation with my family and we said, okay. And luckily I did because at the end of the year, when I was 15 is when I got my apprenticeship with the New York City Ballet. Oh so. my gosh, congratulations. Well, I am thrilled for you that you had that experience. <laughs> I'm sorry that 9-11 happened, of course, and sadly that the show ended after three months. But still, aside from that, I am thrilled that you had that beautiful experience, that you had a grandmother that was able to go with you. I, I, I'm really thrilled that you had all of that. Were you able to make friends when you were there experiencing that at the young age of 11? Oh, yeah. I mean, my the Music Man family, they were my, you know, Broadway family. And it was such a family-oriented show because um, there were so many kids involved. It wasn't really like a normal Broadway show. There was a, a group of us that became really close and 
um, like Travis Wall, who choreographs on So You Think You Can Dance. Um, you know, we were in the show together and it's just been really fun to stay close. And Susan Stroman, who directed the show and choreographed it, I'm very close with her. Um, currently working on another Broadway show with her. So it's like a full circle moment. So oh. she's known me since I'm 11. Oh, wow. Well, tell me, were you able to handle the pressure of performing right away? I think because I grew up doing sort of dance competitions, I was always in a performing um, sort of state. Like I was always on stage. So I felt really comfortable on stage. So to me, I remember she taught me the entire show in like a week and a half. Um, and then I went into the show and I just loved it every single night. It was it was like, you know, a the best experience 11 year old can have. Oh, that's so wonderful. So can you explain to the listeners the rankings at the New York City Ballet and the process of working your way up to principal dancer? Yeah, so um, when you get your um, apprenticeship, you have a year to then get invited into the corps de ballet, which is like the ensemble. Um, so and then there's soloist and then there's principal. So there's basically four ranks. Um, I was an apprentice for five months uh, and then I got my core contract. And then I think I was in the core for maybe like a year and a half. I'm not actually sure. I just know it took me like four years and I was already a, a principal, which is, I still don't really know how that happened. A lot of hard work, but also I just still am, am shocked that it kind of went that quickly. But so I've been a principal now for a pretty long time. I think this is my 16th year in the company, wow. oh. which is crazy. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. That's so wonderful. So that's a lot. You just said it. That's a lot of hard work that pays off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you said, I do feel like I was born with this gene to dance you know there's something that was within me but it didn't go without a lot of sacrifice a lot of dedication a lot of a lot of, a lot of dedication um so even though I was so surprised that it happened that fast I really wasn't that surprised in the sense of how much work and time and effort and love I put into it you know that I I devoted my life to it. So um, it was it was amazing for that to sort of feel like that was seen. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Uh -huh. I was going to ask you, what do you think really sets you apart from others as a dancer? But I think you've just answered that. It's your passion. It's your dedication. It's all that hard work. Yeah, I like to think that, um, you know, I, I do have really strong technique and I can do all the steps. But what I like to think or what I hope people see when they watch me dance is I hope that's like secondary, you know, and what they really see is just my joy for it and are able to be transported um, for that brief moment in time. I know those are the kinds of dancers that I like to watch. So I hope that I am one of those. Oh, I love that. What does a typical day of principal dancer at the company look like? So our day starts at 1030. Um, and we have a company class, ballet class, to sort of warm us up and to keep working on our technique. And so I will take company in class, which sometimes is an hour, sometimes is an hour and a half, depending on if we're performing or not. And then we'll have 
rehearsal from 12 until six. So they can rehearse you from 12 until three, and then you have to have an hour off and then four to six, and then you could have the show at eight. That would be my hardest day. And um, we do that every day, but Monday. And on Saturdays, we have two shows. Oh, wow. So until six and then at eight is the show. How long does the show last? Um, normally, I would say it's like two hours. But as a principal, you're only in, unless it's a full length. Like when it's Swan Lake, I'm in the whole two hours. But on a normal repertoire evening, we do like three different ballets and I'll be the principal of one of those. So normally I'm on for like a half an hour of the evening. Wow. You must be exhausted. Do you take <laughs> rest and recovery days or is that just Monday? That's your recovery day? Monday is definitely the recovery day. I don't want to do anything physical on Mondays. Normally it's, you know, playing with my dog, sitting on the couch, watching a TV show or a movie, things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, most of my evenings are recouping and recovering for the next day. So it's lots of Epsom salts bath, lots of laying down and elevating. So my back can decompress and my feet, you know, can sort of also not get so swollen. Um, so yeah, it's not like I'm able to like, you know, go out until late hours or those kind of things. Like normally I, I really have to take care of my body so I can perform at the highest level the next day. You are so dedicated and I'm so impressed by that. I love that. But I'm really thrilled that you have a rest day, one day a week to rest, and you get to spend it doing what you truly love, that you're at home, you're you're in your own environment, you're with your dogs. And how many dogs do you have? Just one. Oh, just I'm surprised one. she's not like up here. Yeah, I have oh. one Maltipoo. Oh, she's cute. been with me for 12 years. <laughs> really? That's so wonderful. What's her name? Her name is Callie. And actually... Um, on the cover of the Katerina Ballerina books, um, you'll see the dog jumping. It's basically Callie, but in the book, it. she's called Lulu. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think that's so important. When you focus on yourself to take care of yourself, you surround yourself with what you love. So exactly. we do something in every podcast, two things, actually. The first is the drink of the day. And sadly, since we're virtual, I'm going to show you what this is. And I'll just pretend oh. I'm giving you one that we're going to have this together. But I want you to know that we create a drink of the day that honors our guest and focuses on the guest and, and your career. So this is called the Beet Juice Shooter. The beet juice <laughs> dilates blood vessels and increases blood flow, meaning your muscles need less oxygen to do the same amount of work. Beet juice is great for flexibility and endurance, making it the perfect drink of the day for Tyler. So here is <laughs> Tyler. Aww. You can see that we've created this beet juice shooter and I want all of our listeners to go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com. And you can see the same one. It's in a beautiful Baccarat shot glass. Isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. And if you were here, Cheers. I would have two. So I'm saying thank you. Cheers to you as well. <laughs> so all you have to do is take two beetroot peeled and cut into small pieces, one half teaspoon ginger powder, one half lemon, Feed the beet into a juicer and transfer to a jar. Squeeze in the lemon, add the ginger powder, and shake to blend. Pour out 
a shot before a workout and store the rest in the fridge. This should make around three shooters. So I'm going to say cheers to you. And I think this is a fabulous drink of the day. Well, that is delicious. I didn't shoot the whole thing because I I didn't know (laughs) if I could do that, but I, I really couldn't. That is truly delicious, and I love everything it stands for. So in your honor, drink of the day, beet juice shooter. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, with a schedule like yours, injuries must be difficult to avoid completely. And I was heartbroken to read about your neck injury from just a couple of years ago. Can you share that story with the listeners? Yes, um, you know... As dancers, we always have sort of little aches and pains all the time that we have to deal with. Um, But this one just felt different than the rest. And um, I couldn't move my neck. It had been stiff for a while. And the doctor said, oh, this probably is something that has been going on for like five years or something, you know, but it was this, this one moment where I really couldn't like turn my head. I was afraid to even use my eyes because I was in so much pain. And it turns out that I had a really severe herniated disc. And um, what was scary about it was that my disc was pushing on the spinal cord, which obviously when it involves the spinal cord, that's very scary. Oh my heavens, yes. Um, Yes, but that is why I had like tingling in my fingers and it just, it was a very scary time. And I was, you know, the doctors told me I would probably never dance again. I was told by, I think, six doctors that, and finally on the seventh one, (laughs) um, he showed a little hope for me. He said, you know, um, I'm not going to promise you that this will get better, but I have seen it happen. And because you're a professional athlete, I don't want to operate, which is what every single doctor wanted to do immediately. They wanted to operate. Um, And I just, I was like, really? Like you're telling me that it may be okay or may kind of improve because that wasn't ever even, um, that was never said to me. It was like, this will not get better unless you get the surgery. Um, So I waited a bit more and uh, I think I was off for about nine months. Um, and with my last MRI, I went back and, you know, I was so scared. I had no idea what he was going to say, if it had gotten any better. And he said, you know, it's improving. It's, 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 um, it's getting like, it, it kind of retracts back. And so there was more space, you know, before there was spinal cord and there was fluid and no longer was my disc, you know, touching the spinal cord. So he said, you know, for this you know, we don't really do surgery. Um, it just, you just have to be really smart. And, you know, I will say that that is one thing that I would tell the listeners is that yes, doctors are so good at what they do. And if they're, I'm sure that all of these surgeons were probably some of the best surgeons. I mean, I know they sent me all over and I went to some of the best doctors but there was just something in me that just didn't feel like that was right. I don't know. I can't describe it. It was just like my intuition. Um, and I thought, you know, I want to try a lot of natural things first. And if surgery is 
what's going to have to happen, that's fine. But I don't want to just rush into it out of fear because that's what I was going to do immediately. The doctors were so frightening, actually, with what they were saying to me um, that my parents even were like, oh, my gosh, we just want you to be able to walk. Like, let's get the surgery. And I was like, look, I'm not rushing into anything. Like, I just really want to see what I need to do. And so I did a lot of energy healing, which kind of sounds a little out there. And I would have never, ever kind of even believed in that. But now I swear by it. And I was with my physical Yeah. And I was with my physical therapist every single day and we just slowly worked and, you know, I've come back and I am dancing and I, I came back and I did Swan Lake. Like, so, you know, I, I love the fact that I did. I kind of proved them wrong. I mean, yes, you I listened I came to your back gut. And I'm dancing and I listened to my gut. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. I love hearing that. And you're right. Doctors are brilliant. They know what they're talking about. You went to them for their opinion. But in the end, you listened to your gut and you did what you needed to do. And how long was it before you were dancing again? Um, I believe that was in a March or April. And the first thing I did was Nutcracker. So that would be in like November, the end of November, beginning of December. So yeah, it was kind of like a nine month process. But, you know, I just learned more about who I was. And I was more confident in my own skin and trusting of my own feelings and emotions and thinking, you know, just listening to myself um, and, and trusting in that. So going from dancing 12 hours a day to not dancing at all, did it give you any kind of an identity crisis? Because that's pretty much all you had ever really known. Of course. I think that I, I've always never wanted to be like a ballerina who kind of overstayed in a weird way. But I always thought, I remember saying to my mom, I said to her, you know, I just never wanted somebody like, it's like they were telling me I needed to to retire before I was able to say like, this is over. And that was what was hard for me as I was like, you know, I don't, I know I can't dance forever, but I wanted to be the one to be like, okay, this is the, the end point. And that was what was scary to me. And I think the hardest part for me was the uncertainty, not knowing, not knowing that if I took the nine months off or 10 months or a year, or even if they had told me, you know, you need to take two years off and then you'll be able to dance. But it was like, we don't know what's going to happen. And even if you take time off, we don't know if it's ever going to get better. And that was hard for me because yes, my life was so intertwined with dance. And so all of a sudden, I really wasn't even able to like kind of be in the moment every day because there was always something in the back of my head. Like, is this going to get better? or Is this not like, you know, as a dancer, we're so used to being told where to go or doing this step. And so for me, I was like, I just want to know a time frame, And that is what I had to kind of eventually like let go of. And I think that's when I started to heal was when I started to realize that like, okay, there, this is not black and white. This is like a very gray area. And I'm just going to have to sort of write it, write it out. Wow. Well, you, can I just tell you my, my gut feeling right now or what I'm hearing and feeling about you is you're a very strong woman. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm Thank really you. proud of you. Did that time help you connect to Tyler the woman rather than Tyler the ballerina? I think so. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're growing up and as a dancer, you get very used to wanting to please like either the choreographer or the teacher or the or the director. And I think what I learned during that process was like, okay, you know, life is really precious. And after COVID, I think we all sort of are more aware of that. Um, and so I realized that for the rest of my career, like I really wanted to also just like please myself and be happy with what I wanted to do and dance. And, you know, I think that that really made me grow as a, as a person. And I trust me, I'm the type of person, of course, I still want to please the teacher and the director and that I'm not, I'm not a, um, you know, a rebel or anything, but I just think I, I'm sort of more patient with myself and um, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? I'm yes, it sure. does. Oh yes, it does. I'm, yes, it does. <laughs> I've just so, uh, what I just said, I'm just so proud of, of you, I like I admire you so much because, you know, I just think that you gave yourself such a gift, and you you weren't really hard on yourself at all. I love that. Did you pick up any new hobbies or interests in that time? Hmm. I don't think I really did. I think I just focused on having the more free time that I had and doing the other projects that I love to do, like writing the second book and, um, you know, working on fashion line and things like that, that I never really have time to really focus on. So in a way that was good because it kind of made me think outside the box and put on a different sort of hat. And um, yeah, so I guess I kept myself busy like yeah, that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty busy. I'm just curious, what is your, your sign? I'm a Capricorn. Oh, I love it. I'm a Capricorn too. And I just, the, Are you? the more we have visited, I kept thinking, oh, wow. I, yes. I, I just was so happy you just said Capricorn. I don't ask me why, but <laughs> I love that. I'm a through and through Capricorn. And <laughs> honestly, too. I've never met one that I didn't really get along with. I don't know what it is. Yes. I think that we're all really driven and loyal people. Yes. And yes. I don't know. <laughs> yes. And accept things that we have to accept and find the best way to handle it. There isn't exactly. anything. My belief in me is that there isn't anything I can't handle. It's true. We we do have a good way of sort of. Yes. I don't know. Getting ourselves out of it. <laughs> yes. So I have to tell you, I love your dance wear collaboration with body wrappers. Love, love. These pieces must be so much fun to design. I just, I love them and I love design. I'm a, like a decorator at heart. I I love everything about it. And so I love them. Did you, do you just have a ball designing them? Um. Yeah, I think it came from you know, being in a leotard more than I am in street clothes and being in dancewear and, you know, who better to know, like, you know, we're always constantly tugging, like to keep, you know, the bottom down or whatever. And I thought, well, why don't we just try to really get this right so that it's really comfortable and also fashionable. And so I started with three initially um, just to see, I was like, I don't know if I'll even be good at this. And then people really liked them. So 
I don't know. I have like over a hundred like pieces with body wrappers and they range, you know, we started with just like what I call it a leotard, but you know, non-dancers would say it's a bodysuit. Um, and then I started making other pieces because I wanted to make it sort of a, a line that could be in the dance studio and then also on the street. You know, you could wear a bodysuit with pants out with heels or um, we have a little romper that you can then just put on the street and walk out with sneakers. And oh, I love the so rompers. I really enjoyed it. Love, love, love the rompers. Love it. Me too. <laughs> my, that's my favorite piece. I love, 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 love. So is ballet fashion big at the company? Do you all look for the most fashionable pieces? Um, I think that we look for, I guess we all dress the way our personalities are, which I think is funny. If you were to come to a rehearsal or a class, we all look different. We all wear something different. But when you really think about it, I think that all of us, we wear what our personalities are. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's fun. So when you have a night out, I'm curious, what do you love wearing? Oh, I love heels. I am like a shoe, which also I think you're like, a. oh, I love it. Yes, I'm a shoe nut. I love shoes. Me too. I love heels. I'm, for I the know. listeners, I'm showing her my heels that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole closet with just my heels, so I'm right there with you. Um, and I don't know, I guess I would, I love rompers. So in the, during the day, you would see me in a romper 100%. Um, and at night, I typically wear like, I don't know, a skinny jean heels and a nice top or something. Oh, I love that. So do you have anything exciting coming up? I have a few things, actually. Oh, good. Um, in November, I'm going to be performing uh, at New York City Center. Um, Twyla Tharp, the amazing, you know, choreographer. Yes. It's her 80th year. And so she's celebrating with six performances, and I am in that. So <gasps> I'm looking forward to that November 17th is the 21st. Um, and then we go straight into Nutcracker, where I get to be the Sugar Plum Fairy oh. um, at New York City Ballet. And um, then in the winter season, uh, have a new Justin Peck premiere, which I'm thrilled about. And then in March, I'm curating my first um, my first shows in New York at New York City Center. It's called um, Artist at the center and I'm the first one kicking it off. So that's March 4th through 6th. And I'm really excited about that. Oh my heavens. I am so excited for you. I am going to make sure that I get there, especially for the Nutcracker. I'm going to bring my granddaughter and grandson. Yes. We always like to come to New York City for Thanksgiving and around the holidays. So how excited are you to be the Sugar Plum Fairy? Uh, I always talk about this because it's actually what made me want to be in the New York City Ballet. When I was here during the Music Man, my father and got my mom and me tickets to see the Nutcracker at New York City Ballet. And he always reminds me that I turned to him and I said, Daddy, I'm going to dance on that stage someday. So the fact that the Sugar Plum Fairy was what made me want to be in this company. And now I get to play that role and hopefully inspire all the young, you know, ballerinas out there. It's, it's sort of like a dream. Oh, God bless you. I am so happy for you. And I cannot wait to be there. I promise you, I'm going to be there with my <laughs> grandchildren, my husband, my family, 
because you're just infectious. I cannot wait to be a part of your life for even just one evening. So we've come to a place in the podcast where we do the second thing that we do with everyone, and that's game of the day. How do you feel about playing games? I love games. I'm up for it. Good. Okay, so this is called the one, two step. In honor of your writing chops and the release of your newest Katarina Ballerina book, we're going to do a fun game where we create a story together. Okay. Okay. So I have three prompts here, which will kick off our story. You and I will go back and forth playing off of each other's sentence by sentence to expand on the story, making it as wild and hilarious as we want. So... Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So our first story starts like this. There once was a dancer who twirled too fast and... And jumped as high as the sky could let her. And then the sky said, no, you must go back because you forgot... You forgot your point shoes at home and... And so she quickly went back home, but when she got there, she couldn't believe her eyes. She saw... She saw her most favorite ballerina in the living room sitting next to her mother, asking her if she could borrow the point shoes she had come to get. So instead, she just sat down and joined them. The end. <laughs> that was actually a little harder than I thought it was going to be. I know. It really, it really was. Okay, our second story starts with uh-oh, one of the principal dancers forgot her leotard. She improvises by putting her pants as a rat and putting the flowers in her dressing room as a headpiece and her top as a... Ooh her top as a pair of shorts using the sleeves as legs and then as a belt to keep it up she used a she used <laughs> an elastic from her bag that was a jawstring bag yes. she tied it up with that and then she used her socks <gasps> yes. as leg warmers. Beautiful. She <laughs> and then she felt she could go to class. <laughs> and when she showed up, everyone clapped and said, I love your look. The end. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was really a lot of fun. But sadly, that brings <laughs> us to the end of this episode. 
Tyler, I have enjoyed talking with you so much. Can you tell the listeners how to find you online, how we can see you dance, and where to buy your newest book? Yes. Um, So you can find me, I think, the easiest way is on Instagram at Tyler Peck, T-I-L-E-R-P-E-C-K. You can find my book. If you just type in Katerina Ballerina and my name, Tyler Peck, you can find it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, or at the Simon & Schuster website, which is our editor. Um, And for New York City Ballet, just go on to NewYorkCityBallet.com, but make sure you go to casting so you know that you're going to see me because I'm not on every single performance. That's wonderful. I'm so excited for everyone to get to experience you. So Secret Squad, visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for drink recipes, photos from each episode, and ways to submit your secrets. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.